right. Good morning, my friends. Glad to see you all here. Hey, uh, in light of that song we just sang, um, Jesus is our all in all. But he's our all in all. Right? He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's behind us. He's before us. He's our God. He's our King. He's our Savior. He's our Master. He's our Leader. He's our Teacher. He is our all in all. What is it in your life? What is there in your life that Jesus does not have dominion over? Jesus is fully in charge of the person of you. And He is the what shepherd? The good shepherd. And when one of His naughty little you lambs, or he lambs, goes missing and wanders off, what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he goes off in search of the one. The person who is the most vulnerable, the person who is the most hurting amongst us, the person who deals with the greatest amount of issues. That's the one that Jesus is the most interested in here today. Jesus is our comfort. He is our rest. He is our peace. Cast how many cares upon him? All of your cares upon him. And the, why does the Bible say to do that? Because he cares for you. You can give it all to him. You can let him have every single thing in your life. You can let him have every single aspect of your life. He knows you inside and out from top to bottom. He knows every single thing about you. And everything that he will do in your life will only ever be for your good. And for your benefit, even the d- difficult times, even the dark times, even the terrifying times and the hard times, Jesus will use those things in your life to draw you into himself and to make a better version of yourself in him. Continually, he seeks to renew us day by day. That's the purpose of grace. That's the purpose of his mercy. It's not so we can get away with stuff. It's so that we can continually and never-endingly, if that's a word, grow in Him. And no matter how far we stray and no matter how far we fall and how far we get off the tracks, we can turn immediately and the Bible says, or the old hymn says, look full in His wonderful face. Because He never leaves us and He never forsakes us and He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do I need to tell you more about Him? This is what the Bible teaches us about our Lord. I, I, I hope you're happy this morning. You know what I'm saying? You may not be happy with your circumstances, right? And I get it. I understand that. I understand that. And many times in your life, you're not going to be happy with your circumstances. But Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mountain, and when it says, blessed is the man, another way you could translate that is, oh, how happy is the man. Oh, how happy is the man. And if we're walking by faith and not by sight, I, I didn't say walking in perfection. I didn't say, say walking without sin or stumbling or falling. I said walking by faith. I stand before you, Lord. I, I'm, I'm altogether in your, at your mercy. And, and I'm altogether undone before you. So, so I don't even know my own heart. So search me. And you, see, you, seek, you seek me and you search me and you find me and you see if there's a wicked way in me. And then you work that out. When the scripture tells husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, what does he then say? 
washing her with the water of the word. In other words, that's what Jesus Christ does to his church. He washes us in the water of the word. Not with a bristle brush, right? Not with a bristle brush, not with a grinder. Gently, as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So he washes us with the water of the word and he cleanses us and he purifies us from unright. It's all just beautiful. It's all just natural. And you in Christ Jesus, my friends, are free. You're free to live your life before him, to love him. That is the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Everything hinges on this, Jesus said. And so as we're going through the Ten Commandments, remember, these things, these things that God gave the children of Israel, that they scratched their head over, and that they trembled before Mount Sinai over at the, at the, at the trumpet of His voice. For you and I, this is Mount Zion's blessing. For you and I, this is what God has already accomplished through Jesus Christ. And we can bask in his victory and say, Lord, just, I just want to soak, right? I mean, just let me soak here today and let your word come into my life and you do the work. You ever notice you can't change people? Right? Any more than you can, a leopard can change its spots and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. We have sayings for this. You can't change people. You can't make people do anything or be anything or do what you know is the best thing for them. But God can do how many things? All things. Nothing is impossible with our God. I'm convinced that when Jesus told the disciples if they had faith as a mustard seed, they'd be able to say to this mountain, be removed from your place. He was talking about salvation. The greatest miracle ever in the history of the universe, more than the creation of the stars, is when the Lord God takes a sinful wretch like me and puts him on the altar of mercy, on the mercy seat, and covers him in the blood or her in the blood of Jesus Christ and makes them a new creation in Christ and changes your very nature. So that the things that you used to do without even hardly having a choice in the matter... Now God begins to wash from your life. And you're free not to do things. And you're free to follow after Jesus Christ. And study His Word, knowing that His Holy Spirit wants you because He's instructed you to study His Word. And so He wants you to, instruct, uh, to study His Word and He's going to instruct you and He's going to reveal Himself to you through His Word. It's, you know, you ever hear this phrase, it's all good. In Jesus Christ, my friends, it's all good. It's just all good. Just seek Him. Just be in His presence. That's what He asks of us. Now, we're going back in time before Jesus died on the cross, right? On our timetable. To Mount Sinai, where God revealed Himself to the children of Israel as the holy and just God, the judge of all creation. And He stands before them in, 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 in the form of, of Mount Sinai, and we have given to us a fearful picture. And we're going to see the children of Israel's response after we get through the, finally get through the Ten Commandments. But we're going to see their response to this awesome God. When the mountain trembled and the smoke went up from the entire mountain like it was all together on a smoke. I love that one, right? 
all together on a smoke, and there was a trumpet that grew louder and louder, and the people trembled at the presence of God. God first showed the world His excellence, His holiness, His truth, His might, His power, who He was. He revealed Himself so that all men would be undone before Him. So that all men would be undone before Him. So that He could then reveal the second covenant through Jesus Christ. All of what we're going to read and study through the Old Testament is the Old Covenant looking to the New Covenant. It's here's where our status is. Here's how how far we are from who God is as a holy God and a just God. But, but, right? It's always that hope. But, but, one is coming. Even John the Baptist, he said, are you the Messiah? Oh, no, 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 no. One is coming. One is coming. I'm not even worthy to, to, to loosen the, the, the straps of his sandals. He's going to baptize you folks in fire. In the Spirit of God. That's the covenant we live under. Amen. So, speaking of the law, we are in Exodus chapter 20. And we got down to verse 7. I'll start from the beginning of chapter 1 just to read up to 7. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, that is in my presence. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And I don't think I mentioned concerning images, um, we can get legalistic over everything, right? We can just get, we can just get legalistic on everything. You know, and, and there's certain brothers and sisters within the body of Christ who are our dear brothers and sisters whom we love who will see a picture of Jesus in the Sunday school room and go, oh, that's not right. That's a graven image. No, 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 Steve, it's not a graven image. I hope there's no Steves here. <laughs> no, it's not a graven image. God is not talking about art, okay? Because how do we know this? Because later on when God gives the instructions, right, for the building of the tabernacle and all of its instruments, what is in the tabernacle and then later in the temple? All sorts of images, correct? What sits on the Ark of the Covenant? Two angels facing inward with their wings, the seraphim with their wings over the mercy seat. God is not talking about constructing uh, something to, 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 to say, wow, that's beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. What was Jesus always teaching the people and trying to teach the religious leaders? It's a matter of the heart. It's the matter of the heart that you would have anything in your life that takes preeminence over God. That you would have anything in your life that you are subservient to. That there's anything in your life that if it's a matter of obeying God or serving God or having or doing this thing, you choose that thing. That is what we call an idol. It may not be uh, gold or brass or bronze or wood. It may be a thought. It may be an idea. It may be your dream. That's why you need to allow God to search your heart 
and to know you and see if there's a wicked way in you. Do I have an idol? When the rich young ruler came to Jesus Christ, so full of himself, and Jesus said, you know the commandments, and he went through the second table of the commandments, our dealing with men, and the rich young ruler, all these things I have kept since my youth. And Jesus looked at the young man, and he looked into his heart, and he looked into his mind, and he looked into his soul, and he saw there the idol of money. Make no mistake about it, that's the only reason that Jesus said what he said to the rich young ruler. There's one thing that you lack. One thing. You've got it all right, buddy. You're doing everything. You are an awesome Christian. Except for one thing. You've lost your first love. Money is preeminent in your life, son. So I'm going to need you to go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. You ever hear preachers say, uh, God would have given him a, a bigger mansion on the hill? No, he wouldn't have. No, he wouldn't have. He'd end up getting martyred probably. Let's be honest. Jesus said, follow me. And you have riches where? In heaven. And it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had much. And that was his idol. Make no mistake about it. We can have idols and they're just as relevant today as they ever were. But it ain't a drawing of Jesus, okay? It ain't a drawing of Jesus. It's not the Jesus movie. That's not an idol. We watch these things because it gives us a connection to then look heavenward and say, how great are you, God? If you go to the Jesus movie and you're bowing to the screen, now we'll have to have a different conversation, okay? Oh, gee, no, that's an actor right there, you know. Okay, and, 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 and people do that. Uh, I remember seeing, a, this is years ago, on 60 Minutes, and I can't remember where it was, and some guy, some cat dresses up like Jesus and goes around to different churches, and the people are like, that's off the tracks, okay? You've, you've gone off the rails now, okay? Uh, what we're talking about is matters of the heart. Okay, verse 8. Oh, verse 7, I'm sorry. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, what is the essence? What is the spirit of this commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, the first thing that comes to our mind immediately is cussing, right? That's the biggest thing. Oh, my God. You know, and you're saying that because, you know, your dog got out. Or, 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 or because this, 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 this Twinkie is so good. Oh, yeah, you know. Uh, or, or, or you have on the job site, this, I hear this like continually, you know, somebody racks their knuckles with their pipe wrench, you know, and immediately they begin cursing God. And using that name to curse rather than to praise him. That is taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But I would like to point you to the picture of, of communion. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at 20 to 22 and 27 to 30. And keep in mind, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 20. <clears throat> Therefore, when you come together in one place, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper... In other words, he's saying, you're saying we're sharing in the Lord's Supper. And Paul's saying, no, you ain't. But that ain't the Lord's Supper. Okay? It's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, 
Each one, of, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and this guy over here is drunk on the communion wine, for heaven's sakes. What? <laughs> that's, that's how I think. <laughs> do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Paul's upset, right? Paul's upset. Why? Why? Because they're doing something in the name of God in vain. It's a misrepresentation of God and who he is and communion and what communion is. And they are misrepresenting their own relationship. Oh, we're here to, we're here to serve Jesus. We're here to take communion to honor Jesus. Paul says, no, you're not. Don't you bring Jesus into this. Because this guy's stuffing his fat face. This guy's hungry. He hasn't been able to get in line. And this choker's drunk. You're doing it in vain. That's taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now listen to what he says in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's a tough statement. I don't want to stand under that. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick amongst you, and many sleep. I mean, people were passing away. <laughs> you know, when God's Holy Spirit was moving through the first century church the way it did, it wasn't all good miracles, was it? I mean, you know, God's power was there, and God was, was honoring his, his, his word above his name, and God was, his spirit was filling the hearts of people, and the church was growing by leaps and bounds. And I do believe that it was a special, I think that the gifts of God are for yesterday, today, and forever. I don't believe that God ever changes. I believe, I believe that there's the old covenant and the new covenant, and I won't even get into, you know, the dispensations of, I, I just, I'm just not interested. Okay, I'm just the wrong dude. You're barking up the wrong tree. I don't care. I just care what the Bible says about loving Jesus, really. I just don't want to be bothered with a bunch of nonsense. Okay, so I don't know, oh, was the miracles only for then or was the miracles only for here? I can't stop complaining, okay? I got bigger, bigger fish to fry over here. Okay, then worrying about, oh, there's certain dispensationalists of the, uh, who cares? Who cares? I'm complaining to my boss. <laughs> no, that's my problem. Not as the gifts are for, I'm supposed to just serve God and love Jesus and have faith in him. He wants to do a miracle, I believe he'll do a miracle. He can still make the lame to walk and the blind to see. He can still do all that easily. He can raise up and he can throw down. He can prosper one and put another one in poverty according to his will. That's on him. My job is just to love him, trust him, and serve him. Okay? So, so that period of time when God was moving through the churches, it was a crazy time. God was doing amazing miracles. But he was also dealing with some folks, wasn't he? It was very, very important to the Lord, I would say, that the gospel that went forth was the right one. And that there would be no misunderstanding about who God really was. Okay? So when you people see people seeing t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, and stuff like that, is a wrong mis that is a misrepresentation of who God is. He's our Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And we do have freedom to come before the throne room boldly, the scripture says, and to worship him. 
but to worship him. He's not your buddy, old buddy, old pal, and he's not the, the, the big guy in the sky. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of all creation. And we ought to always approach him with reverence and humility because of who he is. And so when Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church here, it's for taking the name of the Lord their God in vain. Remember Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit? Remember? Whew! Can you imagine that scene? I just want a DVD of certain things, you know. And Peter looks at him and goes, you haven't lied to me. Got me imagine Peter. You've lied to the Holy Spirit and they just fall dead. Wow. First Ananias and then Sapphira. And the young men come and carry their bodies away, it says. What happened? Well, God kind of killed them, you know. Wow. Unbelievable. And, and it's, it's interesting to me that I'm kind of thankful. It's interesting to me that, that folks aren't passing away in church. Not here, but in general. When I read this. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for God's mercy. But I think the point is made, is it not? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let your worship be true. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? The time is coming when people will worship neither here in the temple or in the temple. But people, true worshipers of God, will worship how? In spirit and in truth. In the integrity of your heart. Just as you are. You come before God and you allow yourself to be exposed to his holiness. Trusting that his grace and his mercy and his love will be poured out upon you. Like that's what the relationship is about. We don't want to take his name in vain. Now verse number, verse number, verse 8. Verse number 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Now, much, 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 much uh, has been made of the Sabbath, both now and then. Because what happened was the attorneys, right, and the religious people uh, within the faith got a hold of the law and turned it into a burden, they turned the Sabbath, which was supposed to be a day of resting, into a burden for the people. If you have a prosthetic leg, a wooden leg, you may not wear it on the Sabbath day. That, is, that constitutes bearing a burden. I kid you not. You can't spit on the Sabbath day because when your spit hits the ground, it might roll, dig a little furrow in the ground. That's plowing. But this is, this is real. Does that sound like fun to you? Does that sound like rest to you? First of all, if you want to truly keep the Sabbath, you've got to work on Saturdays. And I simply refuse. You know. <laughs> Six days you work, and then one day you rest. That was, that was the Lord's covenant with the nation of Israel. They worked from Monday to Saturday. And Sunday, God said, you're required to take a day of rest. It's for two reasons. Okay, just like our relationship with God and all the things that he asks of us are basically, well, there's three reasons, right? To honor his name, that's first and foremost, always. To honor his name, to bring praise and glory to him because he's God. 
He's Jehovah, and he's worthy. It's to uh, bless our neighbors, to bless other people, but also that we might be blessed. God wants you to be refreshed. God wants you to have rest in your life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to go through hard times and difficult times and have times where you're like, I'm like a hamster on a wheel. But God does want you to have rest. He wants you to take time and rest. And that's what church should be. Church should be a part of your rest. This should be something that you come and you feel like, ah, when you leave here, like, wow, that was awesome, man. We just, just worshiped the Lord and, and, and studied his word. And he spoke to me about this and this. And it was just awesome. And you go home and you sit around the table with your family and you discuss it. Just, I mean, not necessarily that exactly, but, but rest is what God wants. The spirit of it is God's rest. And the, the prophecy of it, the, the deeper meaning behind the Sabbath, Paul talks to us about. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Our true Sabbath is when we enter into the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ. That's when our Sabbath, our true Sabbath, begins. Um, Let's see. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10 first, verse 4. Romans 10, 4. What's that? Oh, Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. You know what that tells me? You have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God doesn't want you to emulate anybody else except for Jesus. God wants to have a relationship with you, the person of you, with all of your little, you know, uh, little eccentric twitches and ticks. And he loves that about you. He loves every single thing about you except the sin. (laughs) Okay? He wants you to be you. He wants to use you as you are. He doesn't want to change you into someone else so he can use you. He wants you to be you. Let each one be convinced fully in his own mind. You know, some people, to some people, they take Sunday. Uh, and I don't even care if you want to worship on Saturday, if you want to honor God that way. It doesn't matter to me. I, personally, I don't care. If you're convinced in your mind and God has given you peace over that, and you're enjoying your relationship and having fellowship with God, that's what's important. It's what's happening in the heart. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 says this. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or what? Sabbaths. Sabbaths. The early church, they met and they worshipped on what day? You guys know this from Pop's teaching. Sunday. Sunday was the day that they set aside to honor God, to worship Him, and to study His Word together, and to pray together. They did it on Sunday because what, was, what happened on Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. 
That seems like a good idea to me. Hey, you know what? Let's meet on the day Jesus rose from the dead. You think God's up there going, oh, yeah, you really screwed it up now. It's beautiful. But I don't read anything in the scripture that say that was a decree of God to you. Thou shalt worship now on Sundays. I don't see it anywhere. That's what they chose to do to honor Jesus. And it's beautiful, so it's stuck. And it's a beautiful day. The reason you have Sunday off is because of that. That's the way our weeks are set up in this nation. You guys, some of you remember back in the old days, you couldn't go to a grocery store on Sunday. Like everything was shut down. Why? Because it was a day of rest. It was two things. It was a day of true rest to be with your family, and it was a day to go worship God. You go to church. Churches were open. (laughs) You go to church, you go home, and it was meant to be a blessing. Now, for heaven's sakes. I mean, everything's open. Everything's going. And again, it's about the spirit of the law. I don't think that there's a sin with, you know, stores being open, or if you go to Walmart to pick up a few things for dinner, wherever you'd shop. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Are you resting? Are you having, have you having a great relationship with Christ? I was going to go to Wegmans, pick up a few things, and bless my family with a nice meal or whatever. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. It's the heart, right? It's the heart. But if on Sunday you're manic, you know, and you can't get legalistic about any of this stuff. What if you're a cop, right? What if you're a soldier? Sorry, Sergeant, not today. It's a day of rest for me. We'll have to deal with the Taliban tomorrow. No, come on. God's kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. And that's where your heart belongs. You know, we have this amazing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Though thou, that, that though we are in the world, we're not of it. And we have, like, we can do this spiritual disappearing act where no matter what's going on around us or even what our own circumstances are, we can be like David and we can just stand up on the rock. And now my head is lifted up high above my enemies round about me. And they can't touch me in Christ. I can close my eyes and be in glory. That's powerful stuff. And that's what the Sabbath is about. It's about rest for the people of God. Oh, and they took it. Oh, and they took it and they wrecked it. They took the law. And Jesus, like he said to the religious hypocrites, you teach for law, for doctrine, the, the, the traditions of men. You know, and he just would get fed up with them. Why do your disciples air break the law by it? And he's like, why do you break the law? You know, and he would hammer them on something that was going on in their heart. You dishonor your mother and father. You ought to be stoned. You dishonor your mother and your father. Because you say to them, whatever would have been given to you by my hand is now given to God. So fend for yourself. Why? Why did they really do that? Because they were a bunch of greedy, nasty guys. And all they cared about was themselves and their position. So they would have nothing to do with their own mother and father and let them live in abject poverty while they lived in luxury. Sorry, I'm all about the Lord's business. Please. The Bible tells us if you don't take care of your own family, you've rejected the faith and you're worse than an infidel. We've got a responsibility. Comes from there. Always comes from here. Now, verse 12. Well, here it is. <laughs> Honor your father and your mother. That's your days. Listen, kids. Thomas, kids, you back there? 
that your days may be long upon the land, and that they not be cut short. Oh, wait, that didn't say that. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now remember, in the New Testament, this is repeated. And it's called the first command with a promise. We live in a culture, we live in a society where youth is worshipped. You know what I'm saying? You you know that because you see 50-year-old people dressed up like 16-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? You're like, huh? You know, I still have my earring hole. You guys may not believe this. You've certainly never seen it. But when I was 18, a strapping young creep, you would have found me with some Jordans on, a Nike windbreaker suit, a big gold chain with a big gold cross, and a big gold hoop earring, and mean, angry eyes. Right? And the other day, my kids were like, Dad, put this earring on. <laughs> it was like a fake diamond stud. And, you know, I'm like a goofball, so I'm like, Okay. Your holes must be closed by now. And I'm like, aha, poop, and I popped it in. It kind of hurt a little bit. I think it was closed. But anyway, I looked in the mirror, and there I am with a diamond stud. But I'm not a stud. You see, that's the problem. And I look like an idiot. You know what I mean? Uh, It's ridiculous. The Bible teaches us that we are to respect the old and give them honor. Because guess what, kiddos? They know more than you. They've been around longer than you. Now, listen to me. I hear a lot of amens from the older folks. Right? <laughs> that doesn't mean you're right about everything. Can you older folks accept that? <laughs> that doesn't mean that every single thing you tell a young person, they're supposed to go, my liege. <laughs> right? What it means is there ought to be honor and respect. Young people... You may, not, you, you, you may get some, some, some wisdom from an older person, and you may go to yourself, I would rather dive headlong into a pit of alligators and snakes than do any of that. But you know what you do? You go, thank you for that, sir. Thank you for that, ma'am. I appreciate you sharing your heart with me. And they're like, <laughs> take that, you young punk. You know, go use that. You walk away like, yeah. But sometimes, kiddos, sometimes, in fact, probably quite a few times, those old people that aren't relevant and wear those weird shoes and wear hay band, <laughs> they're going to tell you something about this life. And that's right from God's heart. That's right from God's heart to you. Because they've been there and they've done that. I mean, I'm continually warning my kids, please, please, you know, learn from your dad. Learn from your dad, and I'll be honest with them about my youth and the stupid things that I did. And I'll even point out other people that, that, that come through the path that they see doing crazy things or in a really bad situation or circumstance, and I'll teach my kids with that. Old people got a lot to teach and a lot to learn. And young people today have an absolute disregard for the old people. They're irrelevant. They're relevant. I do fire sprinklers for a living, and, and, and a lot of the big contracts that sprinkler companies have that I've worked for are with old folks' homes. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and assisted living uh, care communities and stuff like that. It is so sad. It is so sad. I get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't help it. I've got to talk to people, right? 
Uh, and, and then there's all these old, these cute old people. And, and you know, and it got a World War II hat on. I need to talk to that dude. And I want to hear what he's all about and what he's got to say. And you see the sadness in their eyes. You walk by and they're like this. Oh, my gosh. It breaks the heart. Because people get to a certain age and we cast them away. Just cast them away. Put, them, put old dad in the home, you know. That is not... That is not something that lines up with Scripture. We honor the old. We take care of our parents. That is honor, honor your father and mother. Until they're about 80, then, you know, throw them in a ditch somewhere. Honor your father and your mother. You take care of your family, guys. We take care of our family. That's one of the reasons I live there. That's one of the reasons I live in that house. It wasn't my choice, Right? God put us there, and we knew in our hearts that one of the reasons that God put us there in that house is so when mom and dad get very, very old in like 30 years from now, right? Hopefully, God willing, we're there, yeah, <laughs> totally. We're, there, we're here to take care of them. You know, we're not going to call up old Shady Acres and say, send the paddy wagon over, you know what I mean? Get these people out of here, you know? We're going to turn their house into a party central, you know? Put some strobe lights up. No, we're going to take care of mom and dad. And we're going to look after their needs. I, I don't know about you. I'd take a bullet for my old man. Oh, see? <laughs> I love you, Pop. Anyway, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. <laughs> you shall not murder. Very important for us to understand, where are we? It's 10.02. Okay. Let me just get through these. When the Bible talks about murdering, you'll have a lot of people that will say to you today, any taking of any life is murder. Okay? They'll even tell you that any taking of any animal's life is murder. And that just ain't the case. Okay? You always have to take Scripture as a whole. All right? We read all of the Scriptures. We don't take one verse and then make it say what we want it to say. Because... Right after this, God is going to start laying out the law and giving laws for which if they're broken, people need to be put to death, correct? So God is by no means here speaking against capital punishment. Remember when, when Pontius Pilate spoke to Jesus and, and Jesus wasn't talking to him, he wasn't answering him, and Pilate said, don't you know that I have the power to either give you your life or take it away from you? Remember what Jesus said? You would not have such power if it wasn't what? given to you by my father. What was Jesus saying to Pontius Pilate? My father is the one that gave you the power to take life. What does the Bible teach us about those, those uh, who are enforcers of the law? Our law enforcement folks. They don't bear the sword in vain. Right? They're a minister of justice. Ordained by God. That's an, that's an ordained. Sometimes you meet a cop and you don't feel like they're ordained by God. Right? There's jerky cops, just like there's jerky everybody. But they are there, and they are ambassadors of the law and of justice, right? And we owe them our respect. And, Jesus, and, and, and the Word says, they don't bear the sword in vain. Cops carry guns because they may need to kill somebody. Right? I mean, that's why they carry a gun. I come up to you and I say, you, get up and go over there. You're like, who are you? And then I pull up and show you my nine, right? Okay, I'm heading that way, you know. Well, that would be actually some sort of false imprisonment and I'd go to jail for that. But if I'm a police officer 
and I give you a lawful command, you obey it. Again, the disrespect in this culture, the disrespect that we have in this culture toward law enforcement is, 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 is insidious. It's insidious, and it tears and rips away at the very fabric, fabric of our society. We're breaking it down with our own two hands. Every time a cop pulls somebody over, they got the phone, what do you want, pig? You know, you know, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But we shall not murder. Now, Jesus clarified that a little for us, didn't he? I say to you, you got hatred for your brother in your heart, you're guilty. That's heavy duty, man. Because I would never, ever, in a million years, take someone's life. You know what I'm saying? They would never enter, enter my, into my thought process to go and kill somebody. But I have hated people. I have hated people. And Jesus says, man, that's the root of murder in your heart. You've got to get that out. You shall not commit adultery. I don't think we need to really... <laughs> Do I need to explain that one? <laughs> Do you all understand that that's wrong? That that's evil? This is, this is the problem. With any kind of, uh, of sexual sin or sexual perversion that the world is now telling you you need to accept... Nobody's going to come into my church and say, listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm an adulterer, okay? I'd like to be an elder. And I say, what, what are, you, are you a drug addict too? Because you must be high. You're an, you're an adulterer and you want it? No, of course not. Of course you can't do that. You can't be in an adulterous relationship and be walking with the Lord, the Scripture teaches us. We know that. The problem that we have in this day and this age is people are coming into the churches with sexual sins or sexual deviancies in their life, and we're supposed to receive them with love, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to show them the love of Christ. We're supposed to embrace them. We're supposed to show them kindness, right? The problem is, though, is that people are coming in the churches and saying, this is my sin. This is what my lifestyle is. You need to accept it as being okay. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. Not because we don't like that group or we don't like this group. I mean, the, the bottom line is, that, guys, is half the reason you don't like homosexuality is because you're homophobic. That, that's fact. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm chief, okay? When I grew up, it was faggot, faggot, faggot. Even your friends were faggots. Everybody. I, I, make you, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable. It wasn't a bad word to me. It was just like a word that we use, but we really didn't like homosexuals either. Maybe not individually. If we, if we, if some guy was broken down, we wouldn't like push him out in traffic for heaven's sakes. But there is a, 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 a homophobia. Why? Because it flies in the face of what it means to be a man. If you're a man, you go with a woman, right? And if someone does the opposite, it flies in the face of what it means for me to be a man, and it makes me uncomfortable. There's plenty of other sins that don't make me uncomfortable. I want to deal with the ones especially that make me uncomfortable. That ain't the way it works. That ain't the way it works. Sin is sin. We got one job. Man, love them. Love them. We talked about this at the men's breakfast yesterday. But if you're presented with a question concerning the truth of God's word, you better answer. You better answer according to God's word and you better answer truthfully. Is it true that the Bible says that homosexuals do not enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, it is true. Or what do you think about homosexuality? Who cares what I think? My authority is not based on my wisdom or my understanding and certainly not my feelings. Every gay person that I've ever worked with or I've ever been around has been fantastic. I've enjoyed them. I've loved them. 
It doesn't matter what I think. And when they've asked me the question, it's hard. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to tell anybody that they're not walking with the Lord or that they're not saved or that they're not going to heaven. That's, that's something I don't ever want to tell somebody. It hurts me to say it. But it's true if it's in God's Word. And we have to be, we have to be honest and we have to be, we have to be loyal to that. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God hates lying. And at the end of Revelation, when he's talking about all those who are without the kingdom, who may not enter into the kingdom of God, all liars, all liars. God hates lying, man. He hates lying. You know what I'm saying? Like we want to talk about this sin or that sin. God hates, I'll tell you what God hates more than homosexuality. (laughs) Okay? Since we're being frank here. He hates pride and he hates lying. You want to talk about something that is truly despicable in the eyes of God? Because he says, my pride is like sorcery and witchcraft. And that ain't high on his list of things he likes. Right? You shall not suffer a witch to live, the Bible says in the Old Testament. And he says, pride is as divination and a lifted up heart as sorcery. Whew, that's heavy duty. Now, verse 17 is the verse, okay, we're going to finish with this, guys. Verse 17 is the verse that really shook the Apostle Paul up and got him thinking outside of what he had ever been taught concerning the law. Because it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is in your neighbor's. Now, the reason Paul says when he read, thou shalt not covet, he said, that slew me. When I read that commandment, that slew me, because suddenly God brought it to his understanding that he was talking about the heart. Everything else that we've read up to this point, you, could, you, could, you can perform actions whether you meant it or not. Regardless of what you wanted to do, you could do certain things or not do certain things and seem to be keeping the law of God. But then when the Bible shows up and says, thou shalt not covet anything, you're put to death. <laughs> because we are covetous people. That's, that's who we are. And Paul, and Paul specifically says, that one slew me. I think Paul probably had a real, real hard time coveting people. Probably within this, this, his own Sanhedrin. Look at the house Gamaliel's got. That's a, boy, I can't, man, I want to get me one of those, you know. Man, oh, if only I could have that. Yeah. But, but he would never take anything from Gamaliel, or he would never speak ill or do any of those things. But then when he was studying the Ten Commandments one day, and it says, Thou shalt not covet. I covet continually. And he says it slew me. Amazing. Okay, we're going to stop there um, because it's already 12 after 10. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And and thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, revealing to our hearts, Lord, the truth and and the spirit of it, Father. Uh, Not just just the, 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 the fleshly obedience aspect of the law, Father, but what it means and how it pertains to our very hearts. Uh, and our souls, Lord God. Thank you so much for revealing that to us and showing us, Lord, what you really want from us, Lord. You want our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be humble, Lord, and contrite before you and to come before you as little children, Lord, just the way that Jesus said. 
and to hold nothing back from you, Lord, but to be completely open and honest with you, Father. Enter into our lives and have your way with us, Lord. Bless our homes, bless our families, bless our lives, Lord, with more of you, more of you and more of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.